Good morning, Mainstream. I thank God for the opportunity to preach this morning. I want to thank Rich and Brian and Carlos for this opportunity. I'm really excited to preach on a narrative passage. I love narrative because they contain doctrines in picture form. So I'm thankful for this opportunity to preach this morning. I'm also thankful for our partnership in the Great Commission. We are united in one spirit to fulfill the Great Commission. The Great Commission is about building God's kingdom. Great Commission work is kingdom work. When we obey the Great Commission, we are saving souls and maturing them so that they can enter God's kingdom and manage God's kingdom. So Great Commission work is kingdom work. Now, all believers are kingdom builders, whether on the mission field or serving at a local church. We are all kingdom builders for God. The command to be kingdom builders is not new. It did not start in the New Testament with the Great Commission. It started from the very beginning in Genesis. Please turn your Bible to Genesis 12. From Genesis 12, I want us to see that all believers in all ages are kingdom builders. And from Genesis 12, I want us to see what kind of kingdom builders God wants. Now, let me give you a background of Genesis 12. When God created the world in Genesis 1, his original plan was to rule the earth through mankind. Mankind was supposed to be God's vice regents, co-rulers on earth with God. Mankind was supposed to manage God's kingdom on earth according to his ways and his laws. And God's first kingdom on earth was Eden. Humanity was supposed to expand Eden so that it would cover the whole earth. Now we know Eden was God's first kingdom because the new heaven and the new earth is fashioned just like Eden. Both of them contain a river and a tree of life. Let's read uh, Revelation 22, 1 to 2. These verses say, Then they show me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and from the Lamb. And in the middle of its street, on either side of the river was the tree of life. You see, so Eden was God's first kingdom on earth, and mankind was supposed to build his kingdom by expanding the Garden of Eden and populating the world with God's people so that the whole earth will be a paradise just like the Garden of Eden. But in Genesis 3, Satan disrupts God's plan by causing mankind to plunge into sin, destruction, and rebellion. God's desire was for Adam and Eve to populate the world with only holy people who will love him and obey him. Unholy people were the result of the fall. Ever since the fall, God has been on a mission to reclaim and restore his kingdom on earth. Ever since the fall, God has been on a mission to fulfill his original plan for mankind. He's on a mission to redeem a group of people who will love and obey him and live in his eternal kingdom when Christ comes back. That's the plan of God. The whole Bible is about how God will accomplish this mission. And in the process, he will reveal himself and glorify himself. 
Now, after the fall, it seemed like Satan was winning. God's earth was filled with evil and violent people who rebelled against God. It seemed like no one was worshiping God. But Satan was not winning. He, there was always a remnant of God's people. This included Adam and Eve, who repented of their sin and believed in God's promised redemption. The redemption of a remnant continued after Adam. In Genesis 4:25 to 26, God saved Sith, and then there began to be a large remnant of people who started to call upon the name of the Lord. They started to worship the Lord. They started to obey Him and rule the earth according to His laws. In Genesis 6, even when the whole world was evil and He had to send a flood to cleanse it, even then, God redeemed Noah and his family. They continued to worship and obey God. In Genesis 11, even when the whole world united at the Tower of Babel to rebel against God, God still had a group of remnants. Even when the whole world seemed so hopelessly stuck in sin and judgment, God gave a ray of hope for the world. He called Abraham to salvation and called him to build God's kingdom on earth. There was always a remnant who were fulfilling God's original plan for mankind. And God used them to accomplish his mission of restoring and reclaiming his kingdom on earth. And Genesis 12 continues God's winning streak. This chapter is about God calling Abram to build his kingdom. Verses 1 to 9 is about God saving Abram and promising him to use him to build his kingdom. Verses 10 to 20 is about God protecting his promises despite Abram's sins. And from this chapter, we can also learn what kind of kingdom builders God wants. Let's read chapter 12, Genesis 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and all the possessions which they had accumulated, and the persons which they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem to the oak of Morah. Now the Canaanites was then in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Abram journeyed on, continuing toward the Nagath. 
Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. It came about when he came near to Egypt that he said to Sarai his wife, "See now, I know that you are a beautiful woman, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, 'This is his wife,' and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say that you are my sister, so that it may go well with me." Because of you, and that I may live on account of you. It came about when A- when Abram came into Egypt, and the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. Pharaoh's officials saw her and praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. Therefore, he treated Abram well for her sake, and gave him sheep and oxen and donkeys and male and female servants and female donkeys and camels. But the Lord struck Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. When Pharaoh called Abram and said, "This is what is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister, so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go." Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him. And they escorted him away, with his wife and all that belonged to him. So Abram went out from Egypt to the Negev, he and his wife and all that belonged to him, and Lot with him. Now, in verses one to nine, we see that God promised to use Abram to build his kingdom, but before God called him to build his kingdom, He called him to salvation. Verses one. To verses one says, God commanded Abram to leave his country, from his relatives, from his father's house, to go to a land that God will show him. Now, at that time, Abram was in Haran, and previously he was in Ur of Chaldeans. This is in chapter eleven, verse twenty-eight. And both Ur and Haran were in the land of Chaldeans. I don't have a map with me, but it's modern Iraq. It's modern Iraq. The land of Chaldeans was the land of the Tower of Babel, or the Tower of Babylon. Babel and Babylon are the same word in Hebrew. Babel. They're same. It's the same Hebrew word.、Uh, Babel was a land. Babylon was a land of idolatry and rebellion against God. When God called Abram to leave Babel, it was a call to repent from idolatry and rebellion. It was a call to leave the kingdom of darkness to enter the kingdom of light. It was a call to leave the kingdom of Satan to enter the kingdom of God. It was a call to repentance. It was a call to have him trust in God and submit to Him. And today, God continues to call unbelievers out of idolatry and rebellions. They don't need to leave the land, but they still need to leave. Idolatry and rebellion. Now, after God called Abram to repent, He promised Abram that He would bless him and that He would bless the world through Abraham. He would build; God would build His kingdom on earth. And these blessings of Abraham were related to God's mission. These are four promises related to His kingdom program. And we can see that in verse two, 
The first promise is to make Abram into a great nation in Canaan. This is incredible because even though in chapter 11, verse 25, I mean 28, it says Abram's wife Sarah was barren, but God promised them not just descendants, but a nation. And this was the nation of Israel. Israel will be God's new Eden, his new kingdom on earth. It is from Israel that God's loving, fatherly presence and salvation was spread throughout the world to cover the world. And it's from Israel that the Messiah will come and finish God's mission. These are the reasons why God promised to make Abram a great nation. And the second promise to Abram is to make his name great. This is in verse 2. This will occur in Genesis 17 when God made Abram to a spiritual father of a multitude of nations and changed his name to Abram. Abraham. Abraham will be a great example of faith and obedience. He'll be the father of faith. He will be the father of our faith and obedience. Now, fame is not supposed to be pursued by human beings, right? We're ought to be humble and called to obey God. We're not called to chase after fame. Fame is given to God. We're not supposed to chase it like the people at the Babel Tower. They build that so that they can make a name, a great name for themselves. We're not to do that. God gave these blessings. God gave him a great name is to accomplish his mission, is to so that he will be a blessing to the world. It is solely for God's purpose. And ultimately at the end it is God who gets the glory. The third promise is to protect Abram unconditionally. Verse 3 says, I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you, uh, which means uh, revile or dishonor, I will curse. This was unconditional protection for Abram because he was going to sojourn in a foreign land. This promise is only applicable to Abram. It is not applicable to the nation of Israel. God actually blessed Babylon so that they will judge Israel's sins. It's not applicable to Israel. A lot of people like to use this verse to support the nation of Israel, no matter what they do. This is, this is a bad interpretation. This is very popular among prosperity gospel churches because they are always looking for tricks to obligate God to bless them materially. Right? But this is a wrong interpretation. The fourth blessing is to use Abram to bless all the families on earth. This blessing of the whole world will be completely accomplished when the whole world is under the kingship of the Lord Jesus. This will happen when he returns to rule the world. God will use Abram to bless the world because the Messiah will come from his bloodline. This promise has been partially fulfilled when Jesus came the first time to die for our sins so that we can enter into his kingdom, be under his lordship. This is spoken of in Galatians 3.8, which says, And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. 
this promise of blessing is still in the process of being fulfilled when we obey the Great Commission, when we are seeking to save souls from every tribe, time, people, and nation. We want them to worship Jesus as King now and forever. Now, God gave Abraham these amazing promises, but these promises were solely, purely based on God's sovereign grace. It was not based on Abraham's goodness or his talents or his accomplishments. It was solely based on God's sovereign grace. Abraham was not worthy of God's calling or blessing. And we know this because he was a pagan worshiper in the land of Babel. And in the future, we will see later on that Abraham actually gonna, he's going to distrust God and disobey God by sacrificing his wife to protect himself. He is not worthy of God's calling or promises. He was just an unworthy sinner like all of us, plagued with doubts, weaknesses, and sins. God elected and called Abraham purely according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on Abraham. And God also graciously elects us and calls us to accomplish his mission for the praise of his glorious grace. Now, after God called him to leave his country, Abram obeyed. He left. Abram didn't know the detail of God's promises. He didn't know how it would all pan out, but he trusted God. He obeyed and left Haran. Now, you must understand this was not an easy obedience. It required tremendous uh, faith and sacrifice. You have to think, first, he was 75 years old and his wife was barren. And God promised them not just a descendant, but a nation. That required a lot of faith. And second, by leaving her Haran, he had to forsake his inheritance, his inheritance from his father. This requires financial sacrifice. It was not easy. And third, Abram had to sacrifice the comfort and safety of his hometown to travel 1,000 miles to a land that God, he, doesn't, he didn't even know, right? And on top of that, he's in danger always of bandits. So it's not easy. It was not easy. You know, traveling is very easy right now. We have highways and climate control cars, it's actually enjoyable just to ride your car sometimes, right? But it wasn't not like that back then, right? They didn't have highways and climate control cars. They used animals, uh, walking, tracking through. And it probably took him about four months to reach his destination because it took Ezra about four months to get from Babylon to Jerusalem. And this was hard, walking through mountains, rivers and valley under the hot sun, the cold nights, it was not easy. It was very, very dangerous too. I mean, can you imagine if you're 75 years old and your wife is barren and God told you, hey, I'm going to make you a great nation. Pack up your stuff, forsake your inheritance, your money, 
become poor and go to a place where I will show you. I mean, isn't that hard? Would you do it? I mean, would you do it? <laughs> it's hard, right? It requires a lot of sacrifices. There were a lot of risks and uncertainties. But why did Abraham make this sacrifice to obey? Well, the Bible tells us it was because of his great faith and his great love for the Lord. Hebrews 11, 8 to 10 states, By faith, Abram, when, when he was called, obeyed by going to a place which he was to receive for inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Uh, Abram obeyed because he had great faith. Great obedience comes from great faith. But it didn't just take great faith. It also took great love for God and his kingdom. Abram sacrificed and obeyed because he loved God and his kingdom far better than any pleasure that this broken world could ever offer. He was looking for an eternal righteous kingdom where the citizens will truly love God and one another. He persevered and did not turn back. Hebrews 11, 15, 16 said, If they had been looking for that country from which they went out, they would have opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire right, a better country that is a heavenly one. Abram desired a better world, and that is why he made sacrifices to obey and did not turn back. Now, as God calls us to build his kingdom on earth, we must have the same faith and love as Abram. We must believe in God's word that Jesus will come back, establish his kingdom on earth, and we're going to be in it. We will be in the new heaven and new earth, and we must keep the flame of our love for God's kingdom going. Do not be deceived by the temporary pleasures of this broken world. Do not turn back. Do not let the pursuit of wealth, comfort, and fame turn you back from building God's kingdom. Now, when Abraham left his country, he did not just leave his himself, uh, leave by himself and his wife. He actually told others about God, and they believed and went with Abraham. Verse five says that these people included Lot and Abraham's nephew, and the persons which they had acquired in Haran. Haran, I'm sorry, Haran. These persons were not slaves or servants. They were people, they were souls. The Hebrew word for pe persons there is nephesh, is often translated as souls, right? It's not referring to servants or slaves. Every word, God will use the word for that, ibed, for servants. But these are not, these are not servants. They were souls that, that Abram converted. He was an evangelist. He proclaimed the message of repentance to these people, and these people believed. And like Abram, they were seeking an eternal kingdom that was far greater than any pleasure this broken world could offer. 
Abram was fulfilling God's mission of building God's kingdom. Now, when Abram arrived in Canaan, God reaffirmed his promise to Abram. In verse 7, God repeated his promise to give the land of Canaan to Abraham's descendants. Now, the four promises that God gave in the beginning were conditional upon him leaving Chaldean and to come to Canaan, the promised land. And once he arrived in the promised land, these promises became unconditional. These became unconditional promises. And this, this is why in verse 7, God repeated himself. He says, I will unconditionally fulfill these promises to you. And Abraham believed, and he expressed his faith and trust in God by setting up two pillars in verses 8 to 9. Now, setting up pillars in Abram's day was a way to worship. They didn't have temples back then, right? It was a way for them to worship. It was a way for Abram to express his faith and devotion to God. Now, it looks like everything was going very well. Verse 10 says, Abram obeyed. He arrived in the promised land. He was worshiping God and was faithful to God. And God reaffirmed his promises to Abram. It looked like everything was going so well. It looked like God would fulfill his promises soon, right? But not long after arriving in Canaan, Abram experienced a severe trial. Verse 10 says, there was a famine in the land a severe famine. And we know that all kingdom builders will have problems and trials in this broken world, including us. 1 Peter 4.12 says, Beloved, do not be surprised that the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. This is common. All kingdom believers will face trials in this broken world, just like Abram. And he faced a severe trial. And this famine must have been so disappointing and ironic to Abram. First, when he arrived at, in the land, he couldn't possess the land right away because verse 6 says that there were Canaanites in the land. So that was disappointing, right? And second, he, when, after he left the fertile land of Chaldean, the fertile land of Mesopotamia, to come to the land, he faced a famine. Right? This is, must be so ironic to him. This really attacked his faith. He must have been thinking, you know, what kind of land, what kind of promised land are you giving to me, God? Right? So his faith was under attack. So how, did, how well did Abram fare in this trial? Very, very badly. God gave him four promises, and he doubted all four and ruined all four promises. His faith buckled under pressure. Verses 10 to 20 is all about God protecting his promises to Abram despite his sins. First, God promised to make him into a great nation in the promised land, 
but he left Canaan and went to Egypt. In the Old Testament, leaving the land was always a sign of rebellion and disbelief. Psalm 37.3 says that even if there is trouble in the land, Old Testament believers must trust in God, stay in the land, and tough it out. They had to tough it out and not leave the land. The context of Psalm 37.3 is trouble in the land, but the psalmist encouraged Old Testament believers to trust in the Lord and do good, dwell in the land, and cultivate faithfulness. God's promised land is associated with his kingdom, his authority, and his blessing. To leave the promised land is to leave his authority and his blessing. It was a sign of rebellion. And things got even worse when Abram started to doubt God's promise of unconditional protection for him. Verse 3 says, God protect, promise, uh, in verse 3, God promised that he would bless those who will bless him and he will curse those who will dishonor, will revile him. This is a promise of unconditional protection for Abram. But instead of believing in this promise, Abram doubted God. And this doubt led to fear, and fear led to even more sins. Verses 11 to 12 says, He started to be fearful and thought that the Egyptians would kill him to steal his beautiful wife. Now, whether his suspicion was valid or not is not important. The important part is that he doubted God's promise to unconditionally protect him. And because he doubted God would protect him, he's going to protect himself. And so he devised an evil plan to protect himself. Verse 13 says, he lied and he wanted Sarai to lie too about the marriage. He was willing to pawn Sarai to protect himself. Now, now, ladies, you know, imagine if you were Sarai, what would you be thinking? Would you be thinking, oh man, what kind of man did I marry? <laughs> He's not willing to sacrifice his life to protect me, as Ephesians 5 says, but he's willing to pawn me to protect himself. Now, Abram's love was very small during this severe trial. He was very sinful at this moment of weakness. And sadly, this will not be his first time. He will do it again in Genesis 12. And you see, he was truly not worthy of God's election and promises of blessing. These promises were purely based on God's grace. God elected him and called him purely according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace. And God graciously called him in order to accomplish his mission, to accomplish his original goal, desire for mankind. Now, this scheme sounds really good to Abram. Uh, he thought that he was going to be saved, but it was a horrible scheme, right? First, his plan involved deception. Deception ruined his reputation. Instead of making his name great, as God promised, he was ruining God's promise to him to make his name great, to be a great example of faith and obedience to all of us. 
And second, his action endangered God's promise to use Abram to bless the whole world. If Sarah is gone, then the blessing to the whole world will be gone because the promised Messiah will be gone. This is a horrible plan. It's true that the best policy is honest. Uh, the best policy, honesty is best policy. There, his lack of faith resulted in the horrible consequences of Egyptians taking his wife away to Pharaoh. Verse 16 says, um, Pharaoh gave him riches for his wife. Uh, this is horrible. He gained temporal wealth, but he was in danger of losing his wife forever, in danger of losing God's promise to save the world through him. It's a horrible, horrible plan. But God intervened Abraham's sins for his own honor. God obligated himself to fulfill his promises to Abraham, so he must intervene. God will always act to fulfill his words and keep his reputation and honor. Verses 17 to 18 say, God sent plagues on Pharaoh so that Pharaoh let Abram and Sarai go. And here's the irony. God promised Abram to bless the world. But here, instead of blessing the world, he brought plagues and suffering on the Egyptians. So he was ruining God's fourth promise to, that says, in you, all the nations will be blessed. Right? He's ruining God's promises. Abram failed miserably when he encountered his first severe trial in the land. God gave him four promises, and he doubted and ruined all four promises. And the worst thing about this whole ordeal was that he was attacking God's character and power. He was thinking that maybe God was not truthful or reliable. Maybe he's not that powerful enough to save him. These doubts attacked the very reputation and honor of God. Abraham was in fact dishonoring God, and this was very extremely sinful. Now, Abraham's failure shows us that even strong believers like Abraham can buckle under pressure. He did have faith. He left Haran. He left the land of idolatry to come to the land of the promised land. But the great thing about human failure is that it will not ruin God's promises. God is so great and amazing that he will protect his own honor and prevent human failure from ruining his promises. Verse 17 says, but the Lord, now, this is one of the sweetest phrases you will ever see in the Bible. When God intervenes, everything changes. He graciously saved Abram and brought him back safely to the promised land to Nagath. And even though Abram failed, the bright side of this is that this is just the beginning of his journey of faith. It's not the end. We will see God's faithful. Later on, God will increase his faith and obedience. He will truly uh, become father of our faith. Now, this story of Abram is very applicable to our lives. Not everything is applicable but much of it is. You know, God did not promise that he would make us into a nation, right? will make our names great, will even give us unconditional protection. He didn't 
promise that the Messiah will come through our bloodline, right? These are not God's promises to us. The promise to Abram were were different than New Testament believers. But there are a lot of similarities and lessons that we can learn from Abraham. First and and most important lessons we must see is that God is sovereign and trustworthy. He will always fulfill his plans and promises. He will complete his mission of rescuing and blessing the world from rebellion and Satan. God's great character and power never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And no one can stop God from achieving his plans. Not Satan, not sinful unbelievers, and not even sinful believers. Nothing. Our God is an awesome, sovereign God who, will, who rules the earth, and we could put our complete faith in Him. We can trust Him with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. The second lesson we must learn from Genesis is that we are all kingdom builders. All believers are called by God to join Him in building His kingdom on earth. God's mission should be our mission. We are not called to build God's kingdom like Abram by going into the promised land and set up the nation of Israel and make disciples in the context of Israel. But we are called to make disciples in the context of the church. This is great commission work. This is kingdom work. In Matthew 28, 18, 20, Jesus commands all believers to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We build God's kingdom by spreading the gospel to the world so that people can enter God's kingdom when Jesus returns. This is kingdom work. Our kingdom work starts from our home, our children, our local churches, our communities, and then all the way to the ends of the earth. God wants to use us just as he used Abram to accomplish his mission. And the third lesson we need to learn is that God is not looking for perfect, talented, and accomplished people to build his kingdom. He's looking for humble and nobodies like Abraham. God is looking for people who have faith, love, and obedience. Abraham was a nobody, not a big achiever. All he did was roam around in the, in the promised land for 100 years and had the promised child. Not much of an accomplishment according to worldly standards, don't you think? God's not looking for big achievers. Now, from a worldly perspective, you would think God would call a big shot, someone who's important and talented to build his kingdom. After all, this is a very big project, very important. The whole redemptive plan is resting upon Abraham and nobody. It's big. You know what? You would think God would call a mighty military leader like Nimrod in Genesis 10.8. He was the world's first great empire builder. 
He built Babel. He built Nineveh. He was the world's first great empire builder. But God did not call him. God hates him because he was evil. And you would think maybe, you know, God would call somebody like Alexander the Great or a great philosopher or a politician to change the world. Nope. God did not call these people because he's not looking for talented, accomplished people who would just want to run their own lives, who are prideful and evil and disobedient to God. He's looking for nobodies who are humble and who have faith, love, and obedience. Just like Abram. And if you want to be used by God to build his kingdom, you must first begin with faith, love, and obedience. This should be your first priority. Your first priority is not accomplishing tests. Accomplishing, accomplishing tests is important, but the foundation is faith, love, and obedience. Without them, you are not building God's kingdom, no matter how accomplished you are. Abram's faith and love and obedience don't seem to be worth much to the world, but they were earth-shattering. He was turning the world upside down by his faith, love, and obedience. God used him to accomplish his mission because of his faith, love, and obedience. It was absolutely epic. If we want to be great kingdom builders, we must pursue faith, love, and obedience. And we must continually increase our faith, love, and obedience. And in Abraham, we see that God is not looking for perfect people who never sins. God is looking for humble people. And when they sin and fail, they need to be thankful for God's forgiveness and protection. Then they should strive to do better in the future by God's power. We saw that Abraham sinned, right? But God forgave him and protected him. And Abraham repented. He came back from the from Egypt to the promised land. And we ought to do the same thing. When we sin, God promised in the New Testament to forgive our sins because of Jesus. Jesus continues to forgive and cleanses us of our sins. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all righteousness. When we sin, we ought to first rest in the forgiveness and protection given to us in Jesus. We do not rest, our, we do not rest in our accomplishments or good deeds. We rest in the forgiveness we have in Jesus. And then, only then, we ought to be thankful and then translate that thankfulness into prayer and action. We need to ask God for power to obey and work hard to obey. We must have humility. We must add humility to our faith, love, and obedience. God is looking for kingdom builders who have faith, love, obedience, and humility. Let us pray. <clears throat> Thank you, Father, that you graciously elected us and called us to build your kingdom just like Abram. We are all kingdom builders. Father, we are unworthy. We are sinners just like Abram. Thank you 
for your grace. Thank you for our forgiveness in Christ and the privilege to build your kingdom on this earth. May you increase our love, our faith, and obedience so that we will glorify your name. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.